Good morning, friends. Our Bible reading today is from the Old Testament. Uh, it's the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, and in our church Bibles, you'll find it on page 284. It's 1 Kings 18, from verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, friends. If you do have that passage open in front of you, please do keep it open. Uh, on your device or in the paper is even better. Uh, we're exploring the mission in, in prayer this morning, but we're going to use that passage as, as a bit of our, our anchor point. Uh, it might seem a bit strange to look at 1 Kings for prayer, but that's just what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, though, 
uh, before we come before the Lord and his word together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you. It is useful for so many, so many things. We thank you. It teaches us of your truth. And this morning as we look at it, we pray that you inspire us to pray. You inspire us to be people who are mission-minded. May my words be yours. And Father, please, by the work of your spirit, work through the people here and across the screen. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we've said a few times, we're beginning our series, little mini-series on being mission-minded. Now, because we, Nawi Baptist, we want to be a church that is marked by being exactly that, people who are on God's mission, right? Tesla, that's marked by electric cars. Nawi Baptist Church, we are a church who is marked by the mission of Jesus, the mission of seeing people come to know him, of the kingdom of God coming. Now, we have our vision statement, which we go to regularly, which is to see lives transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. That's kind of how we captured it. That's what we're about. All our interactions, our ministries, things we do, uh, want to extend out of this. But this is not a now we thing. Right? This is a Jesus thing. And so right at the, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, just as he's about to ascend into heaven, heaven, he gives what we call the Great Commission. And he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Right? We want to be people that are about the glory of God and disciples who make disciples. Bakers bake, runners run, disciples make disciples. And that's what we are about. Now, so our first focus in this series appropriately is going to be prayer. Uh, John Piper has this good quote. He says, God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. Now, there's far more ways to pray than just about God's mission, but this is going to be our focus this morning. Because if we want to be about God's work, we want to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we want to see people come into relationship with Jesus, both in spirit and in, in what it means in our physical world, then we need to call on the one who has all authority, who has all power, and who loves the people far more than we love them. We need to call on God to do his work, to pray to him. And in a sense, that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what this sermon and this time as we come before God's word is going to be about. We're sent on a mission to make disciples. And if we want to see that mission fulfilled, then we've got to pray. We have got to pray. Now, the way that we're going to explore that this morning is um, we're not going to stay only in 1 Kings. We're going to begin our exploration in 1 Kings uh, with Elijah, see how it is that he prayed, and then move into the New Testament, see how it is that is applied there, and then into our lives today. That's going to be our trajectory. Because mission and prayer is not a new thing, and it never gets outdated. So let's begin. 1 Kings 18. Because if we are a mission-minded people, the first thing we're called to do is to pray for God to be known and proclaimed among the people. For God to be known and then proclaimed among the people. And that's what we see in the mission of Elijah in 1 Kings. Now, we jumped into the middle of the story there. But if you looked at the situation that's going on in 1 Kings 18, Elijah is amongst the people, the Israelites and the surrounding nations, who've turned from God don't want anything to do with God anymore in a sense. They're worshipping other gods. This God named Baal um, turned away from God. 
And so there's a drought. There's been a drought that's going for three years. God called Elijah to pray for this drought. The drought has, is, has come. Now, we know in Australia, droughts are bad. Right? Droughts are not good. The uh, bushfires come, water restrictions, food can get me a bit, bit more expensive. But you put yourself in a culture which is purely ag- agrarian, meaning it's all just about farms, right? And there's no trade. Drought is devastating. It's inconvenient for us. It's devastating for them. They're making decisions between do we feed the mother or the baby, the child or the granddad. This is desolate, desperate kind of times. And so in verses 25 uh, to 29, oh, sorry, 16 to 24, uh, before that, Elijah issues a challenge. He goes to Ahab and to the people of Israel and says, all right, who are you going to choose? Is it going to be God or is it going to be Baal? And he issues a challenge. He's all right, let's make a sacrifice or prepare a sacrifice, um, lay it all out, but not light it. You pray to Baal, I'll pray to the Lord, and whoever brings the fire, that's God. You might be familiar with the story. Ahab and the people are like, good idea, let's do that. And so they go, there's 450 prophets of Baal, there's one Elijah, one God. They go up, verses 25 to 29, the Baal prophets go first. They prepare the altar, they pray. Nothing. So they pray again, nothing. They pray again and nothing. They dance, they mutilate themselves for hours And no fire, no response, no one answered. And then it's Elijah's turn. And this is the part that Kevin had read for us. Elijah, he rebuilds the altar. He prepares the animal and he digs a trench. And then he pours 12 jars of water over it. Now that might seem like, oh, okay, that's that's impressive. Wet wood obviously is very hard to burn. But Elijah is not Houdini preparing a magic trick. Elijah is a worshipper preparing to pray. It's a drought. There is little to no water. Water is literally life in this time. So when Elijah says, fill four jars of water, and then to pour that on the altar three times, 12 huge jars, this is the costliest sacrifice that Elijah can make, that he can offer. He's putting himself on the line, um, his reputation, also his livelihood. And the most profound act of worship and faith happens before a word of prayer. And then he prays. His prayer, verse 36. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, Lord, you are God and that you are turning their backs like turning their hearts back again. Right? This is a prayer of mission. This is a prayer of God, call these people back to yourself. May they know that you are God, reveal yourself to them. And that's all that Elijah can do. He prepares an altar and he can pray. He cannot bring the fire, only God can. And so then we hit verse 38, and God brings the fire. The fire of the Lord fell down, burned the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up the water in the trench. And all the people fall down prostrate. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
God has completely, utterly revealed himself in this moment through the fire. Elijah builds and prays, and God brings the fire. God reveals himself. Elijah couldn't do that. But Elijah still needed to pray. He's invited to pray, and he prays. And then as we step into the New Testament and in our lives today, we're on the same mission. It's a different time. It's a different context. We're not doing these kind of sacrifices with fire, and that's not our world. But it's the same mission. After Jesus came, we know that he sent us out to make disciples and make disciples. And we are still in a battle. We're still in a culture which is against Jesus. Not everyone. There's some people here who love Jesus. But we are in a battle. And it's a spiritual battle. We see it clearest in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, we're in a spiritual battle. And one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to blind people from seeing who Jesus really is. Blinding them. In Colossians, in, one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, The God of this age, which is like another name for the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So when it comes to prayer, we are praying, God, open up the hearts of the people. Open so they can see that you are God. Bring the fire so the people can see uh, that you are the only God opening up their heart. And there's a beautiful story of that, uh, a woman named Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, Luke recounts the story of Paul and his team. They're on a missionary journey. And it says this, On the Sabbath, they went out to the city, uh, went outside the city to the river where they expected to find a place to pray. They're just regularly in this rhythm of praying. They sat down and began to speak to the women who was gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman of the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the Lord's, to Paul's message, the gospel. God was in the business in Elijah's day, in the business in the first century and today, in opening up people's eyes and hearts to see who Jesus really is. And when we go back just a couple of pages before in Acts chapter 4, we see that the disciples were always in prayer, constantly in prayer. And at the dawn of the church, just like Elijah's day, there was great spiritual, social and political opposition to the gospel. And they get locked up in jail. They come back, they report it uh, to the other disciples. And then the first thing they do is pray. Immediately, they pray. They declare God's sovereignty, uh, the situation through the lens of Scripture. And they pray for boldness. People are trying to take us down, God. They're trying to stop your message, but give us boldness. We want to be mission-minded. In fact, they are mission-minded in the way they go about it. And so prayer is first. Prayer is essential. And we live in the same slightly different moment 2,000 years later. And mission begins and is fueled in prayer. The call to prayer does not change. The same God about the same mission with different people. Now, I was talking to Liambo, who's preaching this message in his own way and language, uh, in the 
Mandarin service. And the faithful man that he said, he's like, prayer is like a vacuum cleaner without any needing the power in. If we don't plug it in, no good. We can do nothing. No matter how good the vacuum cleaner is without power, it's useless. In the same way, any mission or any ministry, any personal transformation cannot happen with a God's hand. It cannot. It may look good, like a lovely Dyson vacuum cleaner, but without the power, it's useless. And so we must call on God in prayer. Often, always, it shows our dependence and we literally need it. God is the one who does the work. We labor, we build the altar, but God brings the fire. So we call on him to do that. And God has worked through the prayers of his people constantly throughout history. A church historian uh, named Edwin Orr wrote, Whenever God is ready to do something new with his people, he always sets them to praying. He always sets them to praying. History is silent about revivals that don't begin with prayer. Any revival, any awakening, any work of the Lord in the individual or in a city God sets his people to prayer. Prayer is not like an optional boost. Prayer is the beginning and it is the fuel of mission. And that's the first part. We want to see God known. His his gospel proclaimed through all the people. But also, and perhaps even more strongly than that, we want people to come into faith. We want to see God work amongst people and in the world. And so that is what we pray. And so that, with that, we can return to the story of Elijah. At the end there, we saw that people did say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. They returned to him. But after the fire, we see this, in a sense, it's shorter, but in a sense, the climax of the Elijah story in this moment. In verse 41, Elijah tells the king Ahab, you can leave, run away, run, run back home, go celebrate because the rain is coming. King Ahab goes down, but Elijah goes back up the mountain. He goes back up the mountain to pray. But this prayer this time is not a spectacle. It is private prayer. Private prayer for the city. He wants to pray a blessing over the city. Now, blessing in this case is for their physical need. Their greatest physical need in this case is rain. So Elijah in his private prayer with his servant, he puts his head between his knees and he prays for the blessing over the city. In verses 43 to 44, he prays again and again and again and again, seven times, and God brings the rain. Look, you imagine the jubilation for the people in that time, like transformation of their lands, of their life in a, in a physical sense, new life springing from a depressed place. God not only is desiring to reveal himself, he's desiring to bless the people as he calls them back to himself. And in many ways, this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus calls us to pray. And may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Elijah is doing a very small part of that. A small part in praying for God's blessing over the city. Jesus is calling us to pray for those things and more as he calls us to pray for the kingdom to come, both in physical and spiritual ways. Ange prayed through it in his prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Friends, when we are mission-minded, when that is our goal and our focus and our direction and just our everyday life, we are praying for God's kingdom to come in our family, in our cities, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. And when we pray for the kingdom to come, Ange modeled it wonderfully for us and we prayed it together. But we're praying for the ethics and the values and the blessings of the kingdom to make their way in this world amongst people, amongst communities, amongst our city. We're asking God to make his way known. Like this world in some parts is beautiful and in other parts is an absolute mess. It's tragic what goes on in this world. When we're praying, may your kingdom come, we're asking for God's peace, God's blessing, God's rule to be established amongst this world. God's kingdom as it is in heaven, in Nawi, as it is in heaven. Now, one thing we are specifically praying when we pray for the kingdom to come is for the lost, for people who don't know Jesus. Our hearts desire that they come to know him, to find life, life to the full and life into eternity. A clear, clear picture of that comes from Romans chapter 10. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. We see in other parts that Paul has a heart for the Gentiles too, for all people. Letter after letter after letter, he praises God that they've come into relationship with him. And in a similar way, in 1 Timothy, where he talks to Timothy in extension to us, he says, I urge you, first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for everyone, and even the kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. It pleases God our Savior. Why? Because he wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to knowledge of the truth. Paul longs, he desires people to come into relationship with God. Why? Because that's God's heart. That's why Jesus came, calling people back to himself. That's his desire, for the lost to be found. But sometimes the result is not immediate. Sometimes it's a long and it's a hard labor. And that brings us back to Elijah's story. Because with Elijah, he had a long labored prayer for the kingdom to come, for new life to emerge. And I'll read back specifically verses 42 uh, to 44. So Elijah, he climbs up the mountain, top of Mount Carmel, and he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now, that's a bit of an odd posture for anyone. And whenever the Bible gives you something a bit strange like that, lean in. Like, what is going on here? Why would the author do that? Now, what's going on here is that obviously Elijah is praying in a literal, complete humility kind of posture. But it also, the commentators talk about how Elijah is literally in like a laboring position. Like how some women literally labor. I know that's a graphic image, but Elijah is laboring in prayer. He calls out to his servant, go, look toward the sea. The servant went up and looked. There's nothing there. That happens seven times. Elijah says, go back seven times. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as, as, small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Then the skies went black and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. Elijah prayed for fire once. 
he prayed for rain seven times. Seven, literally seven, but also symbolic of this complete, full amount of time. One author named Tyler Stanton, he's a pastor, he's written a fantastic book on prayer called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. You want to read an awesome book on prayer? Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools is fantastic. He writes this, talking about um, uh, laboring in prayer for the lost. Prayer is slow and unglamorous and sometimes requires labor labor pains, but prayer is also a means to the joy of new life. It's sometimes hard, laborious, unglamorous, but it's the means to new life. Calling down fire from heaven, that was public affirmation for Elijah. But the private prayer on top of the mountain, which brought the blessing to all the city, was unglamorous. It was laborsome. It was a secret prayer, not the public fire that we are told to imitate. Jesus rebukes the disciples when they want to call on fire. He calls people to pray in private. There's also public prayers too. And so Elijah, as Elijah gets on his knees to pray, we are called as a church to physically and metaphorically get on our knees and pray. I'll point out two ways uh, that as the church we're called to get on our knees and pray as we're mission-minded. The first one is that we're called to be devoted to prayer. In Colossians 4 verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful, be thankful. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, maybe the shortest verse in the Bible, pray continually. Keep praying. Keep laboring. Keep joyfully praying. Right? This is not a prayer of intensity. This is a prayer of regularity. This is to be devoted in prayer is to be committed and then consistent, committed and then consistent, devoted to prayer. The second way we are the church on our knees, uh, devoted to prayer, is that we partner in prayer with one another. Not just a private prayer, but partnered in prayer. Paul, in all of his letters, he's huge on partnership, all the time referring to it. And in one of his letters, to, heaps of them, but to stick with Colossians and the Thessalonians theme, Uh, Continuing from verse 2 and verse 3 and 4, he says, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Partner with me in prayer. Please, Colossians, this is our mission. Partner with me. He says a similar thing in 2 Thessalonians. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message will spread rapidly. This is not an isolated thing. Continually partner with us in prayer. You're praying, it's your victory too. That's what Paul is saying. We are doing this together. It's not a solo game. We are called to be a church on our knees, in prayer, calling people back to the Lord Jesus. So that's our posture. Uh, That's our calling, a laboring people of prayer. And to focus on one consistent aspect, as we're we're missional-minded, is we need to pray for lost people to be found. We are in a laboring prayer for people who are lost. I'll start with the story of Monica. Now, Monica was a single mother. Uh, She lived in in North Africa. She had an only son. Now, this son, uh, she she prayed for him uh, every night. As he grew older... 
he became known as in, in his North African city as a womanizer uh, and a drunk. But he was exceptionally intelligent. Very intelligent man, eventually became a philosopher, and he channeled all his energy into debunking his mother's faith, into quashing Christianity. But Monica didn't give up. She prayed and prayed for years and years and years and years. He left North Africa and went to Rome, known for its reverend debauchery. He went there specifically to debunk Christianity. And on a trip, one of his times there, sitting alone in the afternoon in the Roman garden, Monica's son, in this case, heard God's audible voice. And he turned open the scriptures, what he was trying to disprove, and gave his life to the Lord. He dedicated himself to then serving the Lord. Monica's son was Augustine. Widely known as maybe the greatest theologian of the Christian era. Father to the early church. Quiet, devoted, laboring prayer. And God releases his power. It's his prerogative, his choice. Our role is to pray. We build the altars. We'll talk about what that looks like in the next couple of weeks. But God is the one who brings the fire. And in his ultimate wisdom uh, and goodness, he releases his power. Now, I'm the first one to say sometimes we labor with no results. I've been praying for some people for over a decade, two in particular that come to mind. No hope at the moment, but I keep praying for them. And that is what we are called to do. I don't know the end, but I know God loves them. And we are called to pray, so we keep praying. So who are the people for you? Maybe they come initially to mind. Maybe you've been praying for someone for 30 years. Keep going, sister. Keep going, brother. But who are the people that we can be laboring for? Laboring in prayer. Right now, like imagine. Imagine your day-to-day life, your week-to-week, who you're running into, your family, the people you work with, your close friends you socialize with, the acquaintances you just breeze past but regularly in your life. As you see through God's perspective, who are the people that God could be calling you to cry out to him for? Is this someone that we're overlooking? Someone to continue to labor for? Someone who God is inviting you to notice? Think of a name. If you're writing down a person, write it down. In the afternoon today, write them down. Who is that person, that people? And then do something with it. Set a practice, a rhythm, in order to continue to labor for this person. Perhaps you carry the piece of paper in your pocket, set a daily reminder on your phone, create a digital sticky note on your computer, whatever it may be. My practice at the moment, I have little yellow cards. I have 10 people that I pray for, just one a week. I'm not saying I'm amazing. Sometimes I forget. But do a practice. Keep going. Pray for the names. Pray specifically that God will do his work in them. Reveal himself. Use, use, use someone else. doesn't matter. And along the way, keep asking for faith and hope and love. Keep asking that you have that continuous commitment and consistency because it will wane. And ask God to reveal himself to these people. Pray specifically enough that you will know when God answers. Not vague, abstract strange prayers pray specific call on god to act 
see what he does with it. And that's private prayer. But there's also laboring in prayer and partnership. Friends, you can share that name. Share the names with other people. You can do it in your home group, of course. You can do it in the next 20 minutes when we're chatting with one another afterwards. Do it in the formal settings, but also do it in the spontaneous ones. As Christians, don't just isolate our Christian life to the formal times. Labor in prayer together with your friends and your Christian brothers and sisters. You can create a share page. You can pray for the missionary on your fridge. You can get a missionary to pray for on your fridge. You can start a morning prayer group, an afternoon prayer group, a Zoom one, whatever it may be. Set some rhythms to practice prayer and laboring together. And one of the beauties of praying together is it encourages us. It keeps us going. We do it with one another. It's the biblical model, and I think it's a biblical model because God knows we need it. And and it encourages us too. So friends, as we remind ourselves that we're mission-minded people, the first call is prayer. We labor on in prayer as the mission-minded people. We labor for God's glory and for people's lives, for the kingdom of God to come, for people to come into his family. So let's labor with endurance, with determination, trust in God, calling him to do his work. And we'll see what God does with it. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in years and years to come. But we'll know that we're partnering with God in his work to his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, it's one thing to talk about prayer. uh, And it's one thing to have a desire to want to pray. But Father, we recognize that you are the God of all people. You love people far greater than we do. You love your church far greater than we do. And so, Father, we pray that you help us to have that kind of love, a love that drives us to our knees. Father, for the people that are specifically on our mind, we lay them before you. Father, please open their heart to your gospel. May they know that you are God. May they experience your love and the experience from love from your church. Give us determination and endurance as we pray and may you get all the glory may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in jesus name amen